0: Friends, welcome to the parish. We are so glad that you are here this morning. My name is Jordan. I'm one of our pastors and uh, glad to see you all. Um, We are excited for what we have in store here over the next hour and 20 minutes or so and glad that you are here with us. Um, If you're new, uh, we want to just say welcome. Uh, This morning's gathering is going to be a little bit different than our typical gathering. Um, We're going to do some things in different orders than we typically do them. We'll talk at some times that we normally sing, and we'll sing at some times we normally talk. But the reason we're doing that is because we want to walk experientially this morning through a pattern that is the pattern of the spiritual journey. Uh, It's really important that we're not just dealing cerebrally with our faith. We want to walk this out in our bodies, in our hearts, in our souls, in our experiences, and in our journeys. And so what we're going to do is zoom way out, and we're going to sit with uh, this pattern that shows up. We can put different language around it, but the primary language we'll use today is that we are chosen and blessed, which is this idea of orientation, And then we experience brokenness. We are broken, which is a time of disorientation. And finally, on the other side of that comes reorientation, something new, something reorienting, which gives us a way, something has changed in us so that we can be given for the life of the world. And this also mimics the pattern that is happening in three days that are special days on the Christian calendar. Uh, Believe it or not, we're about to move into the season of Advent. Uh, I don't know how that happened. It was just summer. But Advent is coming up soon. But before that, we have these three days. Last week was All Saints Day. All Saints Day reminds us that we are chosen by God. We have been blessed with a family name. We are the saints of God. But then there is All Souls Day, and we'll talk about that today, where we are broken by life, and we remember those who we have lost. We remember that lament and heartache is part of this life, and that there is disillusionment and disorientation. We are not just saints. We are sojourners. And then finally, we remember Christ the King Sunday, which is coming up in two weeks, that we are then given to the world as people who have been born again, we have died in disorientation, yet in time we are raised again into a newness of life, into a kingdom of resurrection. And so today we'll follow that pattern through these three movements uh, and enter the Paschal mystery in that way. So to begin with, what we're going to do is enter into a call to worship. I want to invite you, as you're able, to stand with me. And as we do this call to worship, I'll say the parts that are in italics, you join me in the parts that are in bold, and we'll begin to use this as a way of opening up our hearts to all of this spiritual journey that God works in our lives through, whatever season you may find yourself in today. Choose our lives like bread, God. Take us, select us, set us apart for a special purpose Bless our lives like bread, God. Speak over us a word of grace, a word of gratitude to the Father as you lift us into his hands. Break our lives like bread, God. Crack through the crusts of our souls, dividing us that we may be whole, fractioning us that we might be food, breaking our bodies that they might give birth, and finally give our lives like bread, God. For the little we have is offered to you and multiplied through you for the life of the world. Amen, amen.
1: All right, feel free to be seated. We're going to do our first reading from Genesis 11 and 12. This is the story of Terah. Terah had Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Abram's wife was Sarah. Sarah was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and set out with them from ur Chaldees to the land of Canaan. But when they got as far as Haran, they settled down there. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your land, your family, your father's household for the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and will bless you. I will make your name respected and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Those who curse you I will curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. So Abram left just as the Lord told him. And journeyed on by stages, the story of God and God's people.
0: Thank you: Thanks be to God. Thank you, Keith. So we're walking through those five acts of God's big story, this entire fall and into the spring. and we've been sitting with those five acts of the drama that there is, in the beginning, creation. Genesis chapter 1 testifies to the creation of God at the beginning of God's story, and then we looked all the way to the end, recreation that will come in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. We've spent the last month or so in what we call act 2 of the story, and in fact, Alan, if you can go to that last one for me. Uh, The story, thank you. Well, we've been in Act 2, this idea of the falling self and sin, and we walked through Genesis chapters 3 through 11 as we explored how this force of sin is fracturing our world, both internally and externally. It is uh, this thing that is breaking the love. It's, it's attempting to break the love. It's pushing against the love that God created the world in, the force of sin and death and the deep fracturing that comes through it. Already here, we see the story's pattern in play. It is the story of us. It is the story of the story. It is the story of our stories. Uh, there is orientation, act one. God has chosen, blessed, created There is disorientation, act two. Something enters the story that causes a profound disruption to what had otherwise been going smoothly. And if the pattern is true, we might expect that just around the corner comes reorientation. And so, this morning, we move from Act 2 to Act 3. There is something seismic that happens in Genesis chapter 12, where God begins and sets in motion a plan to redeem all things, a plan to stay with his creation project, a plan to get things back on track again. And so, we'll enter into that promise. Where we left off, though, last week, we were standing underneath the Tower of Babel, looking at this idea of the way sin is fracturing humanity systemically and in our own identities. And uh, we turn then from that one page of Genesis 11 over to Genesis 12, and then in one seemingly obscure paragraph that Keith just read, the midst of a lot of names that we stumble over, we get introduced to this guy, Abram. And on the other side of the serpent's lie comes the Creator's promise. There is a promise that God makes, beginning right here in Scripture, that's going to carry us all the way through to recreation. It's going to happen in stages. The promise has three little promises baked into it. There is a promise of people, people who will, for the sake of others, live their lives for the healing of the world. There is a promised place, and we'll talk about that next week. And ultimately, there is a promised Messiah, and this will lead us all the way through Advent as we await, as we anticipate, as we sit in the waiting for the promised coming Savior. Let's begin with that idea of the promised people, and we'll enter in today using the story of Abram. As our story begins to shift, we've been looking up to this point in Scripture at these deeply symbolic stories, the Garden of Eden, the flood story, the Tower of Babel, these are these stories that are symbolic. They speak to the nature of what it means to be a human. In some ways, they are not just stories that happened back then. They are stories that happened to all of us. But now, we move from these primordial, primitive, prehistoric, poetic stories and suddenly, Genesis 12 zooms us way, way, way in. We go from the wide canvas of the whole cosmos into this little corner of southern Iraq. And there we meet Abram. Abram lives in Ur of Chaldees. And we move from, with Abram's story, we move from these stories that are mythological, not meaning that they're not true, but that they are myth in the sense of they're telling this big bride story that is true of humanity. We move from stories mythological to stories. Uh, geographical stories that are rooted in a particular place with named people and we start to see a shift in God's strategy. I like to think of this as the halftime meeting, you know, (laughs) like we've got Genesis 1 through 11 and God has twice tried a plan. It's like the plan he came into the game with, which was I'm just going to work with all of humanity, but the thing keeps going off course, right? Right? With Noah, we had this great reset. Well, I'm going to try this again. Work with all humanity. And then it went off course again. So now God comes out with plan B. There seems to be a shift in strategy with Genesis 12. And the shift in strategy begins right here with the story of Abram. Let's look again at the words that Keith read for us. And the next one for me, Alan. Alan? Alan? <laughs> All right, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And what seems to happen here is that God's initial plan was to work with all humanity simultaneously, but now he zooms in with this new strategy and he selects, he chooses Abram. He selects him, he elects him and says, you are going to be the forerunner of my new attempt to heal humanity. And what begins to happen is God begins to pick out of all of the world this small remnant group of people who will be agents for the good of the whole world. And this is orientation. Let's look at verse 3. We see uh, that God says, I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of earth will be blessed. And so Abram is chosen and blessed in this unique, special, treasured sort of way. And this is orientation in the spiritual journey. He is oriented on a path by God with a role to play in God's big story. I wonder if you've ever had a moment like this. A moment where you sense God's calling in some sort of meaningful way a moment of blessing, a moment of of guidance, a a moment of being known, of being oriented, that you have a role to play in God's big story. This is the first time in Scripture we hear of Israel. Abram's family is going to become this great nation of Israel. And it begins right here. Abraham's descendants will be a covenant people, a holy kingdom of priests. And what do priests do? What is my role as a priest in our community? It is first and foremost to receive the blessing of God over my own life and then mediate it to all of us, right? That's what a priest is. They mediate the blessing of God. And so when God says, you are a kingdom of priests, what he's saying is, I've chosen you to be selected out of this world as people who get the first taste of the full feast that is coming for the world, and you mediate that blessing to others, right? You take it and you pass it on. You pass the peace. We need to understand then that when we talk about Abraham being chosen, it does not mean Abraham is extra special. In fact, usually God chooses people who are quite ordinary and flawed. And even after they're chosen, they don't suddenly become special. They continue to be very ordinary and very flawed, right? That's how the story works. We also need to understand, and this is so crucial, that just because they are elected, does not mean others are rejected, right? In fact, God will continue to pursue relationship with all people, but now he's going to use this conduit of a set-apart people in order to do it. All people remain God's children, but now God has picked some out for this unique purpose and task to be the first ones to experience the deep love of God because it is only when you know you are loved that you can really love others. It is only when you know you are chosen that you can pass on chosenness to others, right? And so we are beloved people who bestow the blessing onto the world at large. God picks us. He gives us the taste of the feast. He invites us to invite others to the table as well. And so this is how God's going to work to turn around that great force of sin we've been talking about selecting a group of people to be the first ones who are changed that they might bring change, who are blessed that they might be a blessing. These are people picked out for a purpose. They're picked out through a promise to heal the world. And so we say, God of Abraham, you're the God of the covenant and of faithful promises. Great is your faith. Uh, I've got a couple other quick related community things to tell us about. I want to begin by just saying my gratitude to uh, Lance and Lori Lou and Josh for leading us in worship this morning. And um, Thomas and Alan, Alan, who were giving an awful hard time in this service already. I tell you, that's the hardest job in church, is doing Pro Presenter. No, we had things shifting and moving on the service order at 6 a.m. this morning, and they have just been rolling with changes, and and I'm just really, really grateful. And I also want to say I'm grateful for our family ministry team, the work that is happening uh, through Sarah's leadership. Uh, We had a meeting this last week where I just heard the intentionality, the hours and hours of energy and thoughtfulness that is going toward keeping our preschoolers through high schoolers moving at the same space in this story, in this spiritual journey, through practice, through prayer. I mean, there is great intentionality being given to form uh, our children in the way of Jesus, and I'm just so thankful for the work that you're doing there. Uh, I also want to tell you, if you're not on our email list, then shame on you, right? No, that what, what three words you should never hear at church. I'm sorry, I don't shame you. You are unshamed, uh, but join our email list, right? Um, So, uh, we shared in the email list, but maybe you don't, uh, if you didn't get it, uh, I am going to be, during the season of Advent, taking a little season of respite to slow down, to refill, and to be still before the new year begins. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Benjamin. Uh, We often talk about the inner journey and the outer journey, and that we need to practice limits and margin and rhythms and rest. And we don't want to just say those things. We want to do those things. And so uh, I think many of you know the last three years have been pretty wild for all of us, certainly for me, and I've just noticed fatigue in my body. And so part of uh, being connected to God is noticing what our body is saying to us. And so uh, I just have talked with our vestry and our staff, and we're just going to proactively just slow down a little bit. So all is well uh, with that. But I am so excited to just let the ground lie for a little bit. So we've been planning this with our vestry and our staff for a while to ensure that there is continuity. We are not changing what's happening on the Sunday mornings. We're going to continue walking through the big story we have had for months now. Speakers who have been already lined up uh, before we even knew we were doing this, just to continue guiding us into this big story through the Advent season, and uh, and then you're going to still see me around from time to time uh, during this season. I'm not going to be preaching. I'm not going to be providing pastoral care. I'm not. going to be taking meetings, but I'm going to be around. I'll probably serve communion once or twice, and I definitely won't miss the Christmas Eve service. Um, But during that time, Sarah's going to be leading our staff team. So uh, Sarah's asked for as many emails as possible from all of you. (laughs) Uh, now, talk to Sarah if you have church leadership questions, if you need pastoral care. We have a team who would love to just walk with you, and I'm so grateful uh, for them as well. So uh, if you want to get on my calendar between now and then, come see me today. Let's let's make that happen. And then I also want to mention House Church. Uh, we have House Church coming up in November, but we are very aware that it is the week after Thanksgiving, and some of you may be traveling. We want to get a sense is 20% of the church traveling or 80% of the church? We want to have house church because it is the first week of Advent. And that's an important part of moving into this new season. So what I want to ask you to do as we head into our three good minutes break is fill out the poll at parish.community November. You can take out your phone right now. Let us know, are you going to be there? Are you not going to be there? And that will help our staff team. And as you do that, we'll move into our time of three good minutes where we'll take some time to get to know one another, refill coffee, and we'll come back with a scripture reading in just a moment. Our, our service is going to take a hard right turn here. Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It is because life sometimes does, right? Sometimes we're going through things just fine, and out of nowhere comes uh, something that feels like the bottom falls out. And so as we enter back in, we now move from this moment of orientation, this season of orientation, and we're going to spend some time moving into disorientation. We have been chosen and blessed But then there is also brokenness. And so in a moment, Keith's going to lead us in this scripture reading, and we'll enter into this time of disorientation together. Go ahead, Keith.
1: This is a reading from Genesis 15, and you did a great job bringing order to disorder. You did a good job. Uh, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant of my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own and who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. The story of God and God's people. Thanks be to God.
0: This great promise comes to Abram's family that a great blessing is going to flow to them and then through them and that they will be a great nation with more people in the family name than stars in the sky. You're going to need a lot of children for that to be true. But they can't have any kids. And that's the problem, right? Abram and Sarai, they're, they're barren in their marriage. They have no children. And so we find that the pattern that plays out in the big story and in each of our stories, it plays out in Abraham's story too, And his story is not going to be a straight shot from promise to fulfillment. (laughs) There's a lot in between. Our stories are never a straight shot from promise to fulfillment. And his journey is going to lead into countries that have names like disillusionment and dying and loss and lament and suffering and sacrifice and surrender And Abram is chosen and blessed, but now life has broken him. And this is the normal pattern of life. But boy, it doesn't feel normal when it's happening to me. Right? It feels like the world has stopped working, like what got wrenched into the the cargo that makes this life work. Suddenly, it's like the bottom falls out. The the wind is knocked out of us, and we experience unexpected loss. The loss of hope, the loss of a job, the loss of a meaningful relationship, the loss of faith, the loss of control, the loss of a loved one. Sometimes it feels like the loss of life. And Sarai and Abram did their part They were trying to build a family. They did all the things you do. Sometimes we do all the things we're supposed to do and it's not working. It's not working. And after a long season, and after all of those big promises, after all those fancy words, after all those stars up in the sky, like, was it all wishful thinking? Was it all a pipe dream? Did, I, did God really say, right, you know that feeling, that fear, did God really say, is God even real? And have you ever had a moment like that? Disorientation. We are broken. And a man of faith that he is, Abram now has lost his faith. Man of belief that he is, Abram is now bewildered. And so, you know, you come up with a plan B in these kind of moments. I feel the loss of control, so what do you do? You, you take matters into your own hands, right? So, oh, well, I guess it wasn't that God meant Abram and Sarah should have, have a family. It's like, oh, well, let's use this servant girl, Hagar, and let's have a family through her. We'll come up with plan B, right? And so they decide that they will have a family through Hagar, their servant. And for a moment our story dips back into that ever-present force of sin where fear that God is not who he said he was breeds self-reliance, I guess I gotta rely on me, that then becomes contempt because Hagar ends up pregnant with Ishmael and Sarai ends up angry because that's not how I thought the story was gonna go. And so she sends Hagar away into the wilderness and into her own disorientation, her own desperation. Hagar, with no resources of her own, with a child on the way, is in deep pain in a desert place without even water. And there God meets her in her disorientation and provides water in a wasteland. And then there's this moment where Hagar who is a homeless, pregnant, Egyptian slave girl, becomes the first person in Scripture to give God a name. All through the Scriptures up to this point, God just has this general name, this generic name. But Hagar, in her disorientation, says, you are El Roy, the God who sees me. And sometimes in our disorientation, that's all we've got. At least, God, do you see me? The prayer that we might be seen and known. We're going to take a few minutes now and enter into a prayer like that for our own seasons of disorientation. And so we'll move out of cerebral and into formational. We'll move out of our heads and into our hearts and into our own lives. It's important we do that so it doesn't just remain information but become something where we are actually formed and changed. And we'll do this through the lens of All Souls Day, which is a part of the church calendar where we lament the great losses of our life. But really, All Souls Day is just a doorway here where we begin to plumb the depths of what is disoriented and disillusioned inside of us, and we begin looking for God there. Megan, would you come up and lead us through this prayer practice?
2: So, um, as Jordan said, this particular Sunday, uh, we remember All Souls Day. If you're new to Anglicanism, um, it's this ancient practice that the church created to hold space and honor the lives of those that we have lost. And All Souls Day, it calls us to remember, you know, that we're still connected to those who have passed. We remember we serve a God that operates outside the boundaries of space and time here on the earth. And we remember that um, scripture also has something to say about this day. Scripture reminds us that we're part of a much larger family, a great cloud of witnesses, and that even if they are no longer with us, we belong to them. They belong to us. We carry them with us in our hearts always. And I'm so grateful for how this day calls us to remembrance. And at the same time, I often wonder if it's enough I often wonder if the church has done enough to help us walk through seasons of grief, seasons of disorientation. Have we been given the tools to tend, to sit with, the pain, the grief, the hurt? And y'all, it's not biblical. Scripture is actually filled with the prayers of the people dealing with these very things. These are called the prayers of lament And nearly one-third of the 150 psalms testify to these kinds of prayers. People calling out to God in their pain, where are you, God? From the cross, Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The blowing out of this candle represents symbolically what seasons of grief and disorientation it can feel like within us. The two candles that remain, they symbolically represent God, the communion of saints, those that are here with us now. And these are constant, ever-present lights that even when we feel like our own flame has gone out, these two remain. And so we're gonna take now some time to hold some space and we're going to lament. We're going to do this as a community because I know some of you may be in summer seasons of your life where your light is shining so bright. Thanks be to God. But I know there are others where it's just really dark. And so what we want you to know is you're not alone. We're with you, this community. We bear one another's burdens. So we're going to enter into some time of silence, of welcoming prayer. A welcoming prayer, it's this beautiful prayer. It's a type of prayer that does not sanitize. It does not hold back. It doesn't edit. And we trust that we can welcome God in these places very dark places. Y'all, because what would it look like if we began to welcome God into our rage, into the hell that can live within us some seasons? What if we welcome him into our doubts, into our despair, into the seasons where we cannot delight I invite you to just begin to notice what's going on within you. Do you know? Can you feel it? Can you hear what God might be wanting to say to you today? And can you trust that no matter what comes, y'all, it's okay. Welcome it. You are held. We are holding one another.
0: don't have enough time to fully tend to what is probably stirring in some. But my prayer would be that this begins to be a path that you can continue to follow with God so that pain that has been in the shadows begins to come into light. And that in the lament, you might meet the God who sees you. As we bring this time to a close, let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, the glory forever amen we read from genesis chapter 22 verses 1 through 2 after these things after these things god tested abraham he said to him abraham and he said here i am he said take your son your only son isaac whom you love And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there. So the two of them walked on together and Isaac said to his father, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. So here we are in the wilderness, Abram and Sarai in the wilderness. They left their homeland and their father's house in pursuit of a promise. They've grieved their barrenness, the pain and the distrust that has come in their marriage through their self-concocted plans. And we've wandered a long way, it seems, from I will make you a great nation and all people will be blessed through you. And Ishmael is born to Hagar, but Abram and Sarai's disorientation continues for another 14 years. It's a long season of darkness. But then... After an impossibly long night comes this surprising sunrise, and this is how it happens. There is reorientation. It does come. It comes sometimes after it feels like a death because it's kind of like resurrection. And so we have been chosen and blessed, and we have been broken. But now through that breaking, something has changed in us that our life can now be given away in a way it couldn't have been before for the life of the world, for food for a hungry world. Ishmael's born to Hagar. Their disorientation continues. They finally have this son, and now God wants them to sacrifice the son too? Right? Like, is this just a story of cruelty? Um, is this just too much, right? But on Mount Moriah, the season suddenly changes. Let's, let's read it in 22, verse 13. Abraham looked up, and he saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord. It shall be provided. There is a day where our journeys take us to the mount of the Lord where some sort of provision meets us in the midst of disorientation. And we are brought into a new day, a new season. We read in, in chapter 12, verse 9, that Abraham had to do the spiritual journey by stages. And so is it any wonder that he is called the father of faith, the father of me and you, because we have to do ours by stages as well, right? Father Abraham has many sons and daughters, and I am one of them, and so, you, so are you. So let's not be surprised when our story looks like this. Orientation, disorientation, and in time, reorientation into a new vocation, a new life, a new purpose. And the promise of a healing people, healed so that they might heal, begins with Abraham and it births this great nation of Israel, but Israel is not even the ultimate fulfillment of the promised people. It is just a symbol and a shadow of what will become the church. God is choosing people. We join the large family whose God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the saints besides, and we join into this reality where, as Rohr says, God is always choosing people. First impressions aside, God is not primarily choosing them for a role or a task. Although it may appear that way, God is really choosing them to be an image God in this world. God needs images. God needs people willing to be be willing instruments, willing to be broken. Actually, even willing to be blessed and chosen because there's a choice there too and then willing to be broken, and then willing to be given, and against the backdrop of barrenness and brokenness, this huge family is given to Father Abraham. And on the other side of the fall, what happens in our big story, Genesis 12, God starts to woo humanity back into relationship again. Life with God is still possible. And the remainder of Genesis follows this one family And next week, we're going to start with Exodus chapter 1, so we got a little makeup work to do. So in the next two minutes, I'm going to finish the story of Genesis, that after this big story, this long obedience, Abraham's son Isaac meets Rebekah. And Rebekah and Isaac have Esau and Jacob. They are born. There is a birthright. There is a blessing. There is a dream at Bethel. There is a wrestling match at Peniel. At daybreak, a new name is given, Israel. God names his people Israel, which means those who wrestle with God. There's Rachel. But wait, nope, that turns out to be Leah. (laughs) Then there's Rachel. And the family grows, and there are 12 sons, and there are 12 tribes, and young Joseph has a dream. He's betrayed by his brothers. He's sold into slavery just as his father Jacob betrayed his uncle Esau, but as it did with the generation before, there's going to be healing, forgiveness, and redemption in Joseph's story. And just when the food is starting to run out for this promised people, through forgiveness and redemption, they are brought, starving Israel is brought into the shelter of prosperous Egypt. Jacob near the end of his life and still wounded at his hip he leans over his staff and he does for his grandchildren what his father could not do for him he blesses all the kids and he speaks a word of blessing and he charges them with the stewardship of the promised people God's promise will live on to the next generation and the next generation and 400 years later we'll pick up the story next week <laughs> the promise continues And the promise is this from Deuteronomy, you are a people set apart as holy to God, your God. Your God chose you, even us, out of all the people on earth for himself as a cherished personal treasure. God didn't choose you because you were big and important. The fact is you were almost nothing. He did it out of sheer love, keeping the promise he made to your ancestors. So know this, God, your God, indeed, is a God you can depend on. We come to this table as a people entering the great Eucharistic pattern. We are chosen as Jesus chooses the bread. We are blessed as Jesus offers the, the, the bread in blessing. We are broken in disorientation, but in time, something heals through the wounding, and we are given for the life of the world. And so if you would stand with me, let's say our great thanksgiving as we come to this meal. Three times, four times, Jesus uses that exact phrase. He takes bread, he blesses it, he chooses it, he breaks it, he gives it. And so we enter into that reality as we come to this table.